everyone. <laughs> IJ, what timestamps would you like? Uh, can I have a five and a one minute warning, please? please? Copy that, thank you. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Jay, I'm an adult child. Um, I'm a little out of sorts. I'm moving from Alabama to Minnesota tomorrow, so like I have none of my things. So um, yeah, thanks for bearing with me. Um, and thanks to Lori for asking me to do service tonight. Um, yeah, I am nervous and my intention um, is just to be as honest as I can with you. Um, so my, I don't have my big red book act, um, but the passage that I picked is from page 100. And it's really like most of that page, but I'm just gonna read um, one sentence that really stood out to me, which is in the middle of the page. Um, which says there are many definitions for codependence, but for our purposes, codependence means that we constantly look outside of ourselves for love, affirmation, and attention from people and things who cannot provide it. Um, so yeah, um, to start with a little bit of background, you know, I don't have a super clear cut story. Um, I don't have um, severe alcoholism or addiction in my home, um, but I identify very strongly with the laundry list um, I cried when I heard it, you know, the same kind of like um, feeling seen um, so profoundly that I hear other fellows speaking about. And um, my life has been improved tremendously by being in this program. So I don't, you know, every day know why exactly or what brought me here, but uh, I know that I'm in the right place. Um, so, I, you know, these are things that I've sort of pieced together and um, one understanding is that my dad is on the autism spectrum, that he probably has Asperger's syndrome, um, but it's never been diagnosed and it's not really talked about, so I've never really gotten that confirmation. Um, but when my mom says that when my sister and I were babies, we would cry and he would ignore us, he would just keep sitting right next to us and reading his book, and she would think that was pretty strange. Um, and there are a lot of other things like that that just, you know, um, kind of to me come come together as um, being uh, you know autistic which is kind of like a lack of being able to attune um which is a pretty big deal you know uh, between parents and kids so um i uh, have a lot of emotional abandonment that comes up um and you know a lot of codependency also as a result and so i guess what i feel like i'm in recovery from is um you know trying to get people to love me who can't um and being addicted to that and all of the exhaustion and the confusion that comes along with that. Um, and as part of my recovery, I recovered a memory of being a baby in my crib and just reaching my arms upwards um, to be held when my dad was in the room and kind of like just that, that feeling in my body of straining and wanting and reaching and not being able to have. Um, and that sort of feeling has driven a lot of my life. Um, I think it's also very possible that my dad's an adult child my grandparents were Jewish immigrants. Um, a lot of my extended relatives were murdered in the Holocaust. Um, I'm pretty sure my grandfather was a workaholic and there was gambling and, um, you know, parent like had a child that he supported that was sort of a secret. Um, but, you know, uh, that's my kind of my own personal um, journey with it. Um, when we were kids, my dad definitely would verbally cut us down. Um, he was definitely controlling. Um, and it really came to a head when I started presenting as more non-binary when I was in college and he tried to control my gender presentation. Um, so there was a lot of rejection and, and more acute abandonment that came with that. Um, 
he medicates his depression and anxiety by um, what I would call addictively reading, watching sports and drinking wine. I would say those are the, the three things that he does when he's not working. Um, and he has two or three glasses of wine a day, but it's every single day. Um, so, you know, is that alcoholism or is that Asperger's? You know, it's maybe a little bit of both, but I think it really walks the line. And so, you know, um, sometimes I gaslight myself and it feels like maybe I'm making this up. I don't know. Um, but again, like I try not to linger on that too long. Um, I guess another bottom line is just that the love felt conditional in my home. Um, and if we did certain things, we would get attention and approval, but otherwise we would be ignored. Um, so I spent a lot of time feeling very alone. And I basically tried to figure out what my dad wanted me to do and do that. And that sort of felt like the purpose of my life was to figure out how to get my dad to love me. And then I did that with my other relationships too, especially romantic relationships. Um, and whenever there was a mirror of, you know, somebody who was sort of there, but not emotionally available, I, that, that feels like love to me. Um, and I, you know, so a lot of my recovery is detaching from that feeling um, because it just feels normal and natural. It's that like, oh, I just love this person so much. And so there's a lot of retraining to, to like come back into my body and realize that what feels like love is actually emotional and available um so you know by the time i was in my early 20s i was just really out of touch with myself um, and disconnected from myself there was a lot of confusion i didn't really know who i was or even you know that i had that confusion <laughs> because i was so enmeshed um, i started getting chronic pain and symptoms of fibromyalgia um, and a lot of chronic stress um, just being in fight or flight for you know the better part of a decade um, I gave myself an autoimmune disease or contracted one. Um, and a big thing was that I just could not be alone. Um, and I think something I've really learned in this program is how much uh, my life was driven by the fear of abandonment. Like uh, when I couldn't bear the fact that the idea of being alone, it just led me to do all sorts of things, you know, to, like to keep that grip on people. Um, and as I've learned to loosen up that grip and realize that I'm okay alone, then I can let other people go and there's enormous freedom in that. Um, but I just didn't understand that at the time. Um, and so I, you know, uh, started relationships with people who were emotionally unhealthy or emotionally unavailable. Um, and I would latch onto them and become dependent on them for my basic sense of well-being, um, which I think is one of the laundry list traits. We are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment. That was a big one for me. Um, and that was my my life, um, and I didn't, yeah, I just felt really isolated. I felt like I was the only one, you know, um, I don't, it sounds like denial is a part of, every, you know, is a common thing, but I think for me, because there wasn't that acute addiction, it just, you know, we passed for normal, you know, my dad passes for neurotypical, whatever that means. Um, so it, every, there was just like a lot of subtlety and, um, I was, you know, like sick to the point that, um, yeah, I just, I started meditating basically and, um, I moved to a monastery and was meditating all the time. And when there was nothing to do like at all, you know, being in the woods, um, that's when I, um, started when I found recovery, basically, I remember being in the city and seeing like, um, 12 step meetings and wanting to go and feeling like. I think that'd be really good for me. I like almost wishing I was an addict and then feeling like that's weird. Um, so yeah, for me, it was a little flip. Like the meditation is what led to, um, 
you know, just finding codependency and really feeling a lot of healing in that label, like, oh, this is my problem. Um, and then, yeah, starting to go to 12 step meetings from there. Um, and that, you know, those two things, I think meditation and um, 12 step work, you know, being an ACA is just, for me, it was a lot about learning to open to my feelings instead of stuffing them or trying to control them. Um, which I thought I was really in touch with my feelings, but I think they were kind of pseudo feelings that the book maybe talks about. Um, the deeper feelings like abandonment, shame, worthlessness, I, I just didn't um, feel those at all. Um, so I started going to meetings, reading the big red book, working the steps, um, non-dominant handwriting, which is one of the tools I wanted to talk about, has been huge for me um, as a way to connect with my inner child. Um, and I just, I love inner child work, you know, it's, it does sound cheesy in the beginning, or it did to me, um, but it was really powerful. I had like an image of my inner child like, running up over this hillside, just like triumphant with their fists in the air. And I just remember sobbing, and it, I think the feeling was that like I wasn't alone for the first time in lunch. Um, and so I just started, you know, building a relationship with them through the non-dominant handwriting and also through visualizing. I started asking them, you know, what they wanted to do, which was a really big deal because before I just wanted to know what other people wanted and I wanted to do that. Um, and I started involving them in decisions in my life and it shifted to like the purpose instead of, you know, trying to make my dad happy, it sort of shifted to trying to make my inner child happy. Um, and, you know, they're really wise and really simple at the same time. They like to go to the park and look at dogs, take naps, um, play checkers, a lot of cuddling, play catch. They like to climb trees. And I just visualize them doing all these things, but it's really kind of cool how the imagination just goes. I don't feel like I'm doing it consciously. I just sort of open to them. Um, and what comes is what comes. And the non-dominant handwriting is a really big part of that. And I, I can tell that it's coming from a different part of my brain because they use phrases and expressions that you know, my mom would use when I was like four five or five minutes. or six that I, thank you, that are not part of my um, vocabulary anymore. So um, yeah, I just visualize holding their hand when we walk. Um, that helps a lot when I feel scared or sad. Um, sometimes I visualize them sitting on my shoulders or sometimes just like riding on my back and kind of peering out over the world. And that helps me and them feel safe. Um, and I think really they just want my time um, and attention that they felt like they never got. They just some, want someone to be with so they don't feel alone. Um, I have a whiteboard in my kitchen where I had, um, that I've been doing the non-dominant handwriting on. Um, it's been really nice from those moments when I just feel like, you know, uh, really triggered basically. Or sometimes lately I've just been writing in the air um, to check in with myself when I feel triggered. Um, sometimes for a while there, they were writing go away in capital letters, um, which was, you know, painful. There was a period of many, many months. Um, so I'm still working gaining their trust and it's a conversation. Um, yeah, but, but enormously uh, impactful for me and healing. Uh, the other tool that's been huge for me, I just learned about through one of the intergroup meeting several weeks ago is the inner loving parent check-in. Um, this has really been the missing puzzle piece for me. Um, and people like therapists would always talk about self-love, you know, you just need to learn how to love yourself. And I just had no idea how to do that. Like, okay, that sounds good, but like, what, what even is that? Um, so for me, this check-in is like just the concrete answer to how you do that. Um, I never really felt validated or seen in my feelings as a kid. You know, if I expressed a feeling, I might be told, well, then don't feel that way. 
Um, so this is a, a really amazing practice and it, it's very step-by-step, step. you know, it's like if you did a lot of worksheets in school, it just feels like a worksheet. Um, so I check in with my breath, you know, I just ask myself, how's my breath? And then how's my body? If I notice any tension and then how I'm feeling, which is like a nice way to ease in. Um, and then it goes through validate, nurture and reassure and it gives examples and it kind of shows you how to do that. Um, which, you know, are things that I, I don't, I wasn't modeled, um, wasn't modeled for me how to do that. So I say things like whatever you're feeling is okay or I care about how you feel, um, which like I wouldn't be able to come up with because I wasn't told it as a kid, but it's on the worksheet. Um, so I just printed out a full bunch of them and I filled, it, filled them out during the day when I feel triggered. Um, and it's a really, really powerful redirection from thing, you know, any compulsive behavior. So for me, that's like sugar, just like running around, you know, doing lots of things like busyness, um, checking my email over and over, whatever the go-tos are when I don't want to admit that I'm feeling abandoned or not good enough. Um, so yeah, it really feels like I'm, I'm starting to actually feel like I love myself. And I think that check-in has a huge, um, you know, plays a huge part in it. So um, yeah, you know, the pandemic has been really triggering for all my abandonment stuff. Um, moving alone has been really triggered, uh, triggering and my inner child is feeling really like, you know, just uncared about. And so, you know, my inner child is having a hard time. Um, so I'm just, you know, kind of as an adult, I'm, I'm trying to explain to them or like be in conversation about the fact that the only way we can be abandoned is if we rely on someone or something externally for just like a basic sense of well-being. Um, so in that sense, the only one who can abandon us is us. And this is, I don't think like bottle, like physically, I don't think I totally understand this or like, it's just kind of like, okay, but I feel horrible. I feel abandoned worthless. So it's just kind of a back and forth, but I think like have, hearing it phrased this way. And I think this was in the talk that you can find on the um, WSO website about how to use the inner loving parent check-in. Um, I think the person talks about this, that, you know, adults can't be abandoned. They can only be left basically. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like a lot of my recovery now is, is trying to realize that. One minute. Thank you. I'll wrap up. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's not perfect. Um, another thing I say to my inner child is that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything humanly possible to protect you and keep you safe. Um, and I just, I'm starting to realize that like, it's a conversation. I think in the beginning, I just thought like my inner child is in charge, you know, and I would say, what do you want to do? And they would well, say, you know, it's the middle of the night. I want to go to the park and look at dogs. And I would kind of say, <laughs> you know, um, but now I see like, it's, it, like my adult self has an important role to play too in keeping them safe. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful for this program. I don't fully know how I found it, um, but you know, my life is, is uh, so dramatically different from how it would be. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here with you all tonight. So thanks for letting me share.